It's great to be with you again today. There are kind of two uh, pressing things that we get to our text today. If you recall, um, some of you were here uh, five years ago when I went through uh, the interim, and Dustin Olivia had spent the previous year in like two verses. So the next year they had gone, decided to do like every book of the Bible like per week. So I did like every, like, it was like um, every week I had one whole book I had to preach on. So I had like two and a half hour sermons. Some of you weren't there, it was long. No, really. But my great joke every week was, that's the best sermon on Haggai you've ever had. Or Habakkuk, right? And you're like, the only sermon we ever had on that. So it worked out pretty well. Uh, but uh, today's a text that is probably more familiar. Um, we're not going to get to the most famous part of this, but Luke 15 is one of the most famous and rightfully so chapters on the Bible. This is one of those chapters you can't preach it well, you should just stop, right? Because the, the text kind of preaches itself. Um, but we'll get in that a little bit. Let me ask you this question before we begin. How many of you have a hard time um, celebrating the joys and successes of others? Um, I noticed in my life, this is a confessional time, that I often was keen about celebrating other folks' victories and their joys and things that go well. But in my early 20s, I noticed I had a harder time being really excited for folks who were doing what I was doing and they did well. Um, so um, I had no problem when like someone in business started a business and that was going great or someone was doing well in their field. But when, when pastors, young little whippersnappers started writing or doing articles, I thought, well, good for them, right? <laughs> Which totally, not surprisingly, you exposed my own immaturity and insecurity, right? Um, I learned that when I was unable to celebrate successes of others, I somehow felt that their success was some kind of, you know, recognition of lack on my part. And God so graciously said, oh, Brent, uh, let's learn to celebrate others and their joy and their success. We talked about even a couple of weeks ago, that can even happen in religious things. Uh, this is getting harder when, when some folks have great miracles or victories in their faith and that we kind of want to celebrate that, but sometimes others of us didn't get the miracle that we wanted. And so even some of the religious things uh, can be hard to celebrate. So it's a constant challenge. I, I think I'm getting better, but there are eras even today when someone does something great in ministry, I'm like, oh, yay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. That takes me a while. I have to grow up a little bit. It's a long process. But, but what does it mean to celebrate when others do well? And even more than this, what does it mean to celebrate when when God is doing great work in other people's lives, which isn't mean that God can't do a work in your life, but how do we celebrate that joy of the other? Well, the second part is um, one that's also important. Um, this is a good week. My, I'm glad my wife is not here. Because if she were here, she'd be in the amen corner. How many of you have a, pro, have a tendency to lose things? Like small, okay, okay, all right, the rest of you are probably going to hell for lying. Uh, so I... And tend to be doing lots of things a lot at a time. And so I occasionally will, like, misplace things. Now, I generally always find them eventually. But one of the worst ones in my house, it goes like this. Um, when I, I can't go real well, like this, this really helps me usually. You hear that? That ping is heard often in my house. That means Brent can't find his phone, so he uses his little watch to ping his phone. The problem is if I lose my watch and my phone, then I'm in trouble. So all you young people out there, I need to think that when I lose my glasses, I want to click a button that it tells me my glasses are, because my glasses and my phone are continually 
Even at the time I was working in the garage, and I'm like, I went inside with a walking machine, and I lost my glasses in the garage. And so she walks out there, it takes like 30 seconds, they're here, you fool, and runs back inside. It's terrible. Like, she has a gift of finding things. Like, if she sees it in the house, she'll know exactly where anything is. But most of the time, even my stuff I can't find, it's, anyway. So that will also go up in our, our text today. Those tend to lose things. If you don't lose things, God bless you. Uh, but I, I'm sure I'm doing holy things while I'm losing things. I'm sure that's why it is. Important matter. So, Our chapter is a Luke 15. It is often known as the lost chapter. Um, and the question, though, is it's not always evident what is lost or who is lost and what is found. So as you're able, I invite you to stand. We're going to read Luke 15, 1 through 10. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. Um, and remember, this we're on... And in Luke, we're on the way to Jerusalem. After Jesus' healing miracles in Capernaum, we've been in this kind of narrative of this question. So you want to be a disciple? And so this is kind of the next step where Christ has been talking also about this eating stuff so that comes into play here. So again, Luke 15, 1 through 10. All the tax collectors and sinners, it's an interesting word, were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling or murmuring, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or, story number two, what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching for her home carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So again, this text, and we will get to that prodigal son text a little bit later. It's coming right after this. Um, you'll notice the beginning. We've been having this discussion about who do you eat with. And Luke has an interesting way here to say in verse 1, all the sinners and tax collectors were coming to him. Um, and re remember a couple weeks ago, uh, we were in Luke 13, when Jesus was giving instructions on who you are to eat with. And he kind of said, well, don't often invite your friends and family and the rich folks, but hang out with the, line, the lame and the blind and the poor and the marginalized. And what we see right here is that Jesus is doing it. One of the things important for us to celebrate about Jesus is often, he literally, he practiced what he preached. But as was the case with the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were not thrilled, right? Um, in many ways, we ask this question. Who hangs around you? Whom do you welcome? Who feels welcome around you? Um, and I think it's fine that you have folks whom 
kind of act like you and look like you and cheer for your same teams. That's all fine and great. But do we ever create a space in our life for those who are hurting and lost and marginalized? Would they feel welcome among you? Or do we have a kind of, this is not you, but those other people down the road. Do we have a tone of like superiority? That you're just not worthy to be in my presence. I don't have time for you. I'm too busy. You're too dirty. Or whatever, you know what I'm saying there. Um, so Jesus reminds us that very and last week's lesson. Of those of you who weren't here, it's probably a good thing. Um, most folks like Jesus less after last week's sermon, right? He had some tough things to say, right? About you love me, you gotta take up your cross in comparison, hate your mother and brother, right? Awkward stuff. But what's curious, even those hard things that Jesus was saying, what do we see in this chapter? All those sinners and tax collectors were drawn to him. Somehow, the life things Jesus was saying was a welcome to those in the margins. But in thinking about our sermon this week, here's what I thought about. Those whom are in power probably find Jesus more offensive. He's going to challenge the way we live if we live either ignoring those in the margins or pushing them to the side. And here's the case again that Jesus, as he often did. Now, we're not sure, because theologians, we're not positive on things. It is likely Jesus was trained to be a Pharisee. That's why he knows them so well. And again, I, the whole side story would be this. I said this before, the Pharisees and Sadducees play a really important role in Jewish history. Real quick again, the Jews had totally lost the Torah, were living ways they shouldn't have lived, so the, Jew, the Pharisees and Sadducees rise up about 150 years before Jesus, approximately some are older, to say to the Jews, we have to come back to the law. So in some regard, their movement was very important. But the problem was, is really the laws and the rules had become their God. And the other thing was this, and this comes into play with Jesus later on, they also did not want to upset the Romans. Because they knew they had this temple, they were being allowed to worship, but if they got out of line and caused a ruckus, challenged the status quo, at any second Rome could snuff them out. And so these Pharisees and Sadducees, oftentimes, you know, us Christians, we kind of beat them up a lot. Jesus loves them. And because he loves them, he's hard on them. He says, your passion is misguided. So here's a case where they had all these purity laws. You can't eat with sinners and tax collectors. Um, and the question today is this. What other folks do we push away from us? Maybe because of racial things, economic things, right? The LGBTQ issue. They're just, they're people, perhaps some of us are uncomfortable around and so we kind of push folks away. And I find that Jesus didn't change his message, but somehow, um, those especially on the margins felt welcomed. Um, he didn't change his message when they were around, but, but said to them, there is life here. Can you come and receive it? Um, so verse 2, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are not happy because they eat these wrong people. And here's the irony. Um, the Pharisees and Sadducees, by their refusal to associate or hang out with those in the margins, actually became less holy. 
by trying to push everybody away, they were missing out on encountering the face of God. I mean, the, the gospels over and over again. Matthew 25 is kind of this clear chapter when Christ said, you know, if you welcome, go to the prisons and you welcome me there. I mean, I am the person on the margins, you meet my presence. So by the desire to keep clean, they were actually becoming dirty by failure to be encountering those in the margins. So holiness is not about separating ourselves. Now again, it's true, we don't do everything the world does, but we are to be present to those in the margins and not to push others away, even though um, they don't really like all that's going on. The word I, tra- I added the word in there about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were murmuring about Jesus. That's kind of the Greek word there. Grumbling maybe is another verse there. I was I learned this week um, that that same word was also used about the Israelites when they were in. Um, they just crossed over into the Promised Land and they were murmuring about Moses. Right? They just come out of slavery. They'd gone through the Red Sea. Right. And they're in the new promised land. Actually, they're in the desert wandering around. They escaped out of Egypt. And they were grumbling. They were grumbling so much, they said, you know what, we we really should just go back to slavery. We don't like this freedom thing in the desert. And they were grumbling against Moses. It's curious sometimes the way in which we grumble and murmur because things aren't exactly how we would like. Now again, it's very important we can present our requests to God. But that interesting that verse is connected here about these, these supposedly religious folks whom Jesus was acting, they were murmuring about. Again, for Moses, he was leading the people out, but things weren't going exactly how they liked, and so there was murmuring, grumbling. Of course, it never happens here at Mountain Home, I'm sure. So. so when we go forward, we ask this question. Jesus tells a story. When everything's getting really intense, Jesus tells a story. So one thing I want to remind us to is my little professor hat on. Um, Oftentimes, we get sucked into things are only true if they actually happen. So I often tell my students, I'm sure Valerie got this blessing, um, uh, what's more true, the story of the prodigal son or the story of the woman at the well in Samaria? Which one's true? The question, the answer is they're both true. Often we think, oh, it's a story, but don't stories speak about truth? So remind yourself that it's more than just what happened is what is true. Um, so Jesus often uses stories, but stories bear life. So things are true, even though they actually never really happened. Their life lives on there. So we tell some stories today, right? Um, so there was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. Uh, we lost one. Those of you good at math skills, 99 are left. The sheep had wandered away and become distracted. In the other Gospels, we note that this was often one of the smallest sheep or insignificant sheep. Um, And so there's a weird thing you do. Um, Why would you go out? One of the themes you have in the Bible, actually, is God who is the good shepherd. Isaiah 40 talks about this a lot. In fact, Jesus, I didn't look this up, I should Google it. In John somewhere, I'm pretty sure, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. You get bored, Google it, it's somewhere in the Bible, find it. Here's the irony. Jesus, the Pharisees were critiquing Jesus for hanging out with these sinners, but shepherds during that time were not highly reputable. 
they were folks who are on the underground black market trading. They were often known for thievery. They were often disloyal. Um, they were not considered the righteous lot, right? Um, I shouldn't say that like lawyers, not like lawyers, but you know the idea, right? They were they were they were considered high meaning by the society. So what Jesus has done is he said, not only is he eating the tax with and sinners, he's comparing God to a shepherd, which again. Um, Kind of scandalous. By the way, rewind all the way back to well, it's coming now again soon in Luke, the beginning chapter. Who were the folks who were told about Jesus' birth? The shepherds. Again, God keeps using folks whom the religious leaders had marginalized and said, they're not worthy, they're not important. And so we have this connection here between God who keeps representing those and the Pharisees were marginalizing. So, this question reminds us in this chapter, which comes up, um, have you ever, like that sheep, wandered away or become distracted? Have we ever had times in your life, and I've not been diagnosed, Valerie might laugh a little bit, I'm pretty sure I did have adult ADHD. When I, when I go into a lecture, uh, and I start speaking. The students know that they raise their hand and ask any question about a variety of things. I'm very excited to go there. And so we wander around for a while. I have great fun, but in the end, we're like, we didn't get the lecture done today, but it was fun. So sometimes we can wander away and get distracted. Sometimes it's intentional. Other times we just kind of lose our focus and find ourselves lost. Um, one of the great truths of this chapter, as we've already sung about, and Valerie had very good intention about that song, is that our God will never stop looking for us. We don't celebrate wandering away. Wandering away can become very, very scary. But we do know that God will never stop looking for us. Now, I have to tell you, I have some affinity for math and numbers. And if I had 100 sheep, and I lost one, and the smallest runt... I have to confess, I'm not sure I go out looking for them because I've got 99. That's a really high A. In fact, when I was a youth pastor, I go on mission trips to Mexico, I said, if I come back with 90% of the kids, that's an A. That's not, I mean, average is a C. Come on. Some parents were like, yeah, it's okay. We'll find them eventually. It's all right. But 99 out of 100, what's, just, what's one little sheep? But God, the good shepherd, says, Every sheep, even the ones who are least valuable, we'll go out and look for them. The text says that shepherd goes out and looks. And when he finds that sheep, like some of you who grew up in a church know that awkward old religious art they used to have with Jesus having the sheep on our shoulders, right? When Jesus, when we find that sheep, put that sheep on our shoulders and carry it back. Then it says there, they tell their neighbors, they tweet it out or Instagram it. I found the sheep at go party. Then this awkward verse in the Bible. There's more rejoicing over the one that was lost than the 99 who were found. Now, that verse is always, i got to qualify some things. What the commentators are thinking here is that really those 99 righteous folks were probably being referred to as the Pharisees and Sadducees for whom their lives were kind of looking very religious. They didn't repent of anything. But in the end, their hearts are far from God. 
So again, I'm also nervous this way. Um, this is not a sermon encouraging you to wander away. Right? Um, one of the things that we've had about, we used, to, we used to have testimonies in the church. We need to find more testimony times. One of the things I noticed is that oftentimes folks had testimony envy. There were some folks, maybe some of you had stories of amazing turnarounds where your life was a disaster. Perhaps there was drugs and alcohol and just pits of despair, and God found you, and you have life is transformed. We celebrate. That's your story. We give thanks to God for that. Some of us, our stories are way less cool and way more boring than that. I grew up in the church and kind of like never left. Now the irony, of course, is that that's also a great testimony. Uh, that's a testimony, to be honest, that probably has less scars than others along the way. So the danger with this verse, we're not celebrating, hey, go really get lost, so you have a great story of transformation. The story is really about, no matter where you find yourself, that God will keep pursuing you, but wants to be close to God, whether you are near or far. So that's the story's come a little bit. Of course, we got some more money now. A lady had 10 coins, and she lost one. The amount of the money we think was about, she lost about a day's wage, which is something. Um, but, you know, how much, if you're going to work for whatever day's wage is, uh, how hard are you going to look for it? Um, but she was desperate to find it again. She finds it, tells all her friends, there's great rejoicing over finding what was lost has then been found. Then the story, which we're probably very familiar, the prodigal son. It's a story that follows right after this. There was these, uh, a man who owned a farm out in Parma. And uh, they had two sons, an older son and a younger son. Older son was responsible. Showed up on time, type A. Younger son, uh, you know, those young kids these days. He saw that funder having Las Vegas and said to his dad, Dad, I really want my inheritance, which means it's going to be as if you were dead. Dad, you're kind of dead to me. I want to go have some fun. And the father obliges. So the son heads off to Vegas, right? So And has the fun for about a week, but somehow blows it off and ends up at some pig farm in southern Nevada and realizes, wow, Parma was better than this. Some of you have been that younger son. Um, you, you've ended up in places you did not see coming. And what looked like a good idea initially ended up not being a good idea. And really, your story is that God found you in that pit. So he thought to himself, man, um, the folks, my dad's servants in Parma have it better than this. So he recites a speech. Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You make me a servant. And it's a long trip back from southern Nevada to Parma. But as he heading back to Parma, he notices, and he sees his dad then looking out on that porch. You see, on that home in Parma, the dad was deeply grieved, had lost his son. He had let him go, but had always stayed in that front porch, waiting and watching and hoping. With a far-off distance, he, is that, could that be him? He gets closer. He, he's an old guy, but he starts running. He runs and finds his son, falls at his feet in tears, saying, My son, you you were lost and now you're found. The son has no time for the speech because the dad's making plans. The son starts on the speech. The dad's like, Forget all that. 
killed a fattened calf, wears a robe and a ring. We're going to party. My son that was lost has been found. And they go in and start the party. But then there was that older brother who maybe heard some, heard some of this. What's going on? Oh, your, your, your delinquent brother has come home. Your dad's killed a fatted calf and having a big party. And the older brother is indignant. I didn't get a party. I stayed here. I ate with the right people. I followed all the rules. Where's my party? So the father comes out to this son and said, aren't you going to celebrate with us that your, your brother who is lost has been found? And the story just kind of then stops. You don't know, kind of, kind of finish on your own with those stories. The text is about several things. Number one, even those of you today, um, some of you now or friends and family you know are far off in a way. As Valerie helped lead us, God's love will never fail. God's love keeps pursuing them, whether they're in Vegas or on the pig farm. If you have friends and family, God has not given up on them. Some of you I know, there's some pain over family members or friends who currently have wandered away. And it's hard. Um, The good news about this story is that God and the church will never stop pursuing. God has not forgotten them. One of the most uh, challenging people groups in the church now, the youth pastor, were mothers of adolescents. Right? Those can be hard years. Maybe those years that never get unhard, but often when kids were doing tough things, they knew physically where they were some of the time, but spiritually they were lost. And these mothers just had tremendous fear, and we would, we would pray to know that God's not giving up on them. The other part is this. This text is also asking this question. Are we ready and able to celebrate and rejoice when other sinners find healing and repentance in God's grace. Are we going to join that party? Are are we going to celebrate? See, the problem is that older son, he had been physically home, but distant from his father. Like, it's likely Jesus made a connection between the Pharisees and that older son. They were there, but their hearts were far from loving God. There was not joy in their service. They couldn't see the ability to love and care for the marginalized. The good news today is this. God will not stop pursuing. And whether you feel you are far away or at home, the question is, can you celebrate in the joy when God finds those who are lost? The danger is this. Some who are lost actually never left. So even those of you who have never left, perhaps there are some places for us to be found even again. God's a God that will never stop pursuing us. It's not about doing things or that, going so far. Um, But sometimes, while we've hung around, we we have a hard time celebrating when the lost are found. We feel incredulous. Why would you give them help? I've been doing this all my life and not walked away ever. But realize our own spirit of bitterness has made us very far away from the loving heart of the Father. The good news today is that God is in the business of finding all of us and saying, welcome home. There's celebration to be had. 
So we enjoy. And I also know today there is still hope that God can offer for friends and loved ones who are still lost, that God has not forgotten them. So we keep praying and hoping and believing that God will be pursuing them. Val, would you come on up and let's pray today. God, we thank you this day for this message. Lord, there are several layers to what was going on here. Lord, we first are thinking of those, perhaps some in this room, perhaps, but some maybe far away whom we know who are already lost from you. Whether they've been distracted and wandered away like that sheep, or the son intentionally thought there were greener pastures somewhere else. Lord, if anyone here is like that, or we know of anyone, we pray that they would sense the desperation of being away from you. Lord, they would sense your desire not to condemn them, not to judge them, but to welcome them back in hope. Others of us, Lord, like those Pharisees and like that older brother, perhaps we've been around a while, but there's some coldness. There's some space in our life where we aren't have a hard time celebrating when your grace reaches those people. Perhaps, Lord, we're nervous to let those people come to our table or to be around those people. Lord, help us see to be around those in the margins is to be in your very presence. So, Lord, give us courage and wisdom and discernment. Lord, more than anything today, I pray you would send us out in hope and joy. Not because everything in our life is going exactly how we'd like it. But we know that your love never fails. You won't give up on us. And help us, Lord, in the areas we want to grow. We pray for those whom we are recognizing their being away from you. So, Lord, we keep hoping and praying, but there is joy knowing you never stop pursuing. So may we never stop loving. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Whether you find yourself taking like that prodigal son who went away, or the older brother and those Pharisees, or someone who is experiencing God's grace, all would you know that God loves you and wants you to experience joy and hope and peace this day as you take consent out to find those who are hungry and lost and broken to receive this benediction. May the love and the grace and the love of God go with you to love those in our world on the margins who are needing God's grace and hope this day. Know you are loved. Go in God's grace and peace. Amen.